You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. For many engaged couples who are preparing for their wedding day, one of the most stressful for many folks, uh, part of the wedding preparation is not the dress or the venue, but it's telling people where they should sit, isn't it? Sometimes families have difficulties and some uncles can't sit beside other uncles. And then there's people in family who think that they should be, not maybe not at the top table, but pretty close to it. And sometimes that can cause a, 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 a bit of a problem. But just imagine you're going to a wedding and there is no table plan, just a table set out. You know, you get the, the piece of paper on the way in through the door. It normally has table numbers and names. Just imagine there's nothing there and with a free-for-all. It'd be chaos, wouldn't it? There'll be some people, well, you might get one or two trying to go, chance they're onto the top table, but you'd definitely get more people trying to get as close to the top table as possible, wouldn't you? Maybe friends who feel that they should be at the top, and maybe in front of family, as it were, near, near the, the bride and the groom, so they can just be closer and feel more important. It would be carnage, wouldn't it? There'll be handbags flying everywhere, perhaps. And Jesus, whenever he's at this, this lunch, this Sabbath day lunch, he notices a couple of things, and as always, whenever Jesus meets the Pharisees, he makes things uncomfortable, almost a little bit awkward. And well, Jesus constantly is challenging guests or the social customs of the day, and we've seen that in Luke's gospel, in Luke 7 and chapter 11. Jesus makes things uncomfortable. And as we come to the, these bank, this banquet that Jesus is eating at, just before in verse 1, we're told where Jesus is going to, not just any Pharisee, but to a prominent one. But Jesus, as we know now, is heading to Jerusalem, and they're watching him very carefully. And just back in chapter 13, Jesus has healed on the Sabbath, and they didn't like it. And what does Jesus do this Sabbath? Same thing. He heals on the Sabbath, and he's, he's asking them, is it wrong for me to heal on the Sabbath? And the answer is, of course not. It's right to show mercy on the Sabbath. And that's what Jesus is giving permission to do. Because they were religious leaders. You weren't allowed to do anything on the Sabbath. They didn't like Jesus' healing. They didn't like people showing acts of mercy or kindness. But Jesus is saying, they've got it wrong. Of course, you can act mercifully on the Sabbath. And so to be in, Jesus, to be invited to this dinner of a prominent Pharisee, you can imagine the company. It's going to be other well-to-do people, isn't it? It's going to be well-important people there. But Jesus is invited along too. For what reason? Well, they, in some ways they wanted to hear what Jesus said, but they're also looking to catch Jesus out. And, well, Jesus, he even begins, and he, he ruins the conversation at the start, doesn't he? Because everyone remains silent. <laughs> No one answers Jesus initially when he heals them. But then as Jesus takes his spot, reclining around the, the low table or on the floor, Jesus is taking the spot around him, and he's watching people come in through the doors. And while he, he teaches us a couple of lessons here about life now, but also in the future. And while people, first thing for us today is that Jesus' disciples are to be humble. Jesus' disciples are to be humble. So Jesus, he noticed how the guests picked their places of honor at the table in verse 7. So if you can imagine a, a, a U-shape or even, even a, a wedding today, the bride and groom sit at the center. So here the, the, the host, he's going to be the most important person at his own house. He's going to be sitting in the middle. And Jesus is watching people come into the room 
And where is everybody else looking to sit? Beside the host. You know, trying to shuffle in there and squeeze in to get as close to the host as possible. Because the closer you are, in that culture, it's the, the more honor you have. And to be not invited, well, there's an element of shame to that. And here they're fighting for to be the center. And well, you can imagine maybe if we go back to the wedding with no seating plan, there might be someone chance their arm and sit in the groom's seat. Someone who maybe loves the center of attention and maybe loves all that goes on, loves people looking at them. And this is kind of what's going on here. They want people to be looking at the host and them. And Jesus is catching them out and telling them to be humble. So in verse 11, Jesus tells this story. You know, um, don't, uh, yeah, verse 11, he says, don't go to the top table because you'll be humiliated if you're not that important as you think you are. Go to the bottom and be brought up. And then in verse 11, he says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's the opposite of the world, if you like, isn't it? Because if you're in work and you're quietly doing your job and are humble about it, and there's a promotion available, often, isn't it the case where the person who is proud and lets everyone know how well they're doing and is able to blow themselves up ends up getting that job, perhaps, and they are exalted. But in God's kingdom, in God's economy, if you like, it's flipped upside down. So we see the people here in Jesus' day, the, the social elites, the religious elites, they think they're it. They exalt themselves because they know what is best. But as we discover in this story, what happens to them? They are exalted, but they will be humbled because they don't know the Messiah. Flip that around. Those who are humbled and know the Messiah, know who they are, will be exalted. It's flipped upside down. Humility is saying, God, I am a sinner and I need Jesus. The pride is saying, I know what to do, but I don't need Jesus. We need to be humble disciples. You ever watch the, the sitcom Keeping Up Appearances with Hyacinth Bucket or Bouquet? Doesn't she lack humility in so many ways? And even in the way she names, she tries to be part of the elite, to be the best. And the things that she does, the places she goes, the, the, the suppers that she has, the people she invites. And, well, she lacks humility. She up on herself all the time. And we are to be humble. Jesus is teaching us to be truly humble. Jesus says at the dinner, go and sit at the lowest position and be brought up. Don't go to the front and be all show, but be humble and go to the, the bottom. And as God's people, we are to be humble. And well, why and how are we to be humble? Well, we look to Jesus' example, don't we? We have to look to the example of Jesus. So I'm going to flick to Philippians chapter 2. You, you don't have to, but in Philippians 2, Paul is writing and he is showing us of Jesus' humility, of Jesus' example of humility. So in verse 3, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider yourself or others better than yourself. Sorry. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but the interests of the others. So we are not to think we're all it. We are to be humble. And that's hard, isn't it, sometimes? Humble. To be humble. I'm sure we know people who maybe were humble, but as things progressed and they got more success, they were the opposite of humble. And yet all the way around, we know people who are very prideful and are now humble because they've been humbled. But why can we look to Jesus? Why does Paul say, do nothing out of selfish ambition? Well, it's because Jesus did that. So in verse 8, Paul writes, I'm being found in appearance as a man. 
He humbled himself. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, God, became like us. He humbled himself. And we know he humbled himself because he didn't only come, not just to be King of kings and sit on a throne in Jerusalem and rule over the people. No, Jesus came as a servant, didn't he? He washes the disciples' feet. He looks after the the weak and vulnerable on society. He shows this servant love, a costly love it turned out to be for you and for me. We need to be humble because, well, that's what God requires of us. And that's what Jesus is telling them here. Don't fight for position. Be humble. And in the last days, you'll be exalted. We're no better than anyone else. We're no different than anyone else. We're all sinners. But as followers of Jesus, we have a different attitude to the world and we are to be humble. And then secondly, Jesus' disciples are to be generous. So in verses 12 to 14, Jesus has sorted out the problem of humility, but he's now going to tell them, tell the host now. So Jesus has witnessed the battle for seats, but he identifies an issue with the host here, it seems, doesn't it? Because he's speaking directly to him. Why is anybody even there? Why has the host invited everyone to come? Well, Jesus seems to pin out the problem that, well, it's because you're going to get something back from them. Making you feel important. So in verse 12 to 14, Jesus tells them what to do. Jesus says, you know, you're here, you're the social elite, and you aren't thinking about the poor. Those are people that you would never invite. Why? Because they cannot offer you anything. That's what Jesus says. When you give a banquet, invite them. Because whenever you invite the rich, they will repay you. So it's kind of like I never really understood my, my sister especially primary school Christmas presents. Okay, you know, all our group of friends, they would buy, I'm going to say links, but you know, like a, a five pound soapbox for each other. For me, that made no sense. You buy one for someone and you return the exact same thing. And that's kind of what's going on here. This Pharisee's having a lovely big Sabbath dinner. He's having a dinner and it's his house this week. And next week, he'll go to someone else's. And the following week, he'll go somewhere else. And they're on a circuit. But Jesus is saying, actually, no, that's wrong. Of course, you can have your friends around, he's saying. But what's your motivation in this hospitality? Is it to get something back or to give? And we thought about giving at the end of June with the church in Acts, didn't we? About being generous. Jesus is saying you need to invite people that aren't well off. See, we don't, for us then, what does that mean? Well, it means that we just don't invite people out for dinner or coffee or to our house knowing that that's going to be repaired in a couple of weeks' time. Of course, do those things. That's good. I do. That's fun. It's part of life, isn't it? Having your friends over and going to their house. But Jesus is saying, just don't do that. Just don't return the favor and do the the opposite. He says here um, for the Pharisee, have this banquet but invite those who can't repay you back. He's inviting those who can and reveals his selfish heart in the cycle of social ambition and standing. Jesus is saying in the kingdom of heaven, there's no rich or poor like the world. In the kingdom of heaven, we're all equal. And that should be true in the church. We are all equal. The only dividing factor there is, is in Jesus or without Jesus. So to say someone's not coming to my house because is wrong. Jesus is saying that we need to be generous. 
to what is considered the low <clears throat> in society. <clears throat> we are not to subdivide the world like the world does, subdivide church like the world does from political, national, racial, social, medical, education, or our jobs. Subdividing the church like that brings disunity rather than unity. Jesus says we are to be generous. We need to be generous, not just thinking of people we mix with, but others. He is really challenging, isn't it, to the Pharisee, but also to us and as a church. Jesus' disciples are to be generous and to care for those who are vulnerable, downtrodden by society, overlooked and not cared for by anyone else, the weak and the vulnerable. That's who Jesus picks out in verse 13, isn't it? The lowest of the low in their society. Jesus picks this guy, the host, and says, you're just here for a circuit. You're here just to get repaid and to build up your reputation rather than being generous. That's what marks out one of Jesus' disciples, that we are actually generous. We like to be safe, take no risks. But Jesus says we are to be generous, opening up ourselves and our homes to those who society rejects. Because Jesus, throughout the course of this dinner, though he's challenging, he constantly shows himself to be merciful, Jesus, doesn't he? Merciful to the man and heal them. And Jesus is saying, look what you could do. You could be looking after the poor in society. Jesus wants them to show mercy. Why? Well, for us, we have received mercy and we should be looking to, to show that mercy. So as Jesus has watched everyone and has had the awkward silences and everyone watching him, in verse 15, someone decides to pipe up. Now, whether he's trying to be religious, or maybe he knows the score, we don't, we don't know. But as always, if someone interject, interjects with Jesus, Jesus will use their comment as a, as a springboard to teach them an eternal reality often. And this is the, the passage then, as is known as the parable of the great banquet, a story that many of us will know very well. But what is it that we must do? Well, as Jesus' disciples, we must respond. That's the first thing. And in the story that Jesus tells, <clears throat> there's a man having a great banquet, and it appears that many people have been already invited because the invitations are issued, the RSVP is received, the numbers are set, the banquet is ready, and he sends a servant off to say, come and tell everyone to come. To say, come for everything is now ready. Everything is ready, and it seems to be the case that an invitation has been accepted, but when the servant goes, what does the servant receive? Excuses. And what we learn is that there is no legitimate excuse. There's no legitimate excuse for rejecting Jesus. Here we have a man who's testing out a field, a man who's trying out his oxen, a man who is married. These are excuses that people make in the story for this great banquet. But surely if they really wanted to be at this great banquet, not just an ordinary thing, a great banquet, surely they would make the effort to be there, wouldn't they? We know ourselves, maybe if you have... You have children, perhaps, and you want to go somewhere. You would get a babysitter in or get family to look after the children or have someone fill in with you, for you at work or swap shifts. Or you would organize yourself that you would be able to go to, maybe not a great banquet, but a family wedding or a night out with friends. You would organize that. You'd make every effort, wouldn't you? And here the people are invited to this great banquet and clearly did not really much interest in going. They've said, oh, yeah, we'll be there, but we're not going to go. 
Of course, Jesus is not talking about a literal earthly banquet. He's talking about a heavenly banquet. And it's no ordinary banquet. It's the wedding supper of the Lamb of Revelation. It's God's kingdom Jesus is talking about. And these excuses are made for not coming are not good. There's no good excuses. There's property, occupation, family. Those are excuses that people make in commitments of life, isn't it? They rival God's kingdom, those things. People use those as good reasons for not coming to the banquet, but they're not. See, as you make every effort to go to a family wedding to make sure you go, excuses that would be lame to not turn up, the host would be pretty disappointed, wouldn't they? And so is the, the, the master of this great banquet. No matter how good our excuse or how good we think our excuse might be, it's not a good enough excuse to turn down God's invitation. And there's two pieces of application here for us, I think, isn't there? Firstly, for the Christians here today. What they are saying for, for Christians, and sometimes we make excuses when it comes to following and obeying Jesus, don't we? We say, oh yes, we'll do that. But something more important comes along, isn't it? Well, that's, that's our excuse. There's something wrong. We have to do that. Other things are more appealing than other words. We originally say yes, but when it comes to it, we give it a miss. And I'm sure maybe we, in the past we've organized a, a night out with friends or to go somewhere with somebody, and maybe towards the last minute they've pulled out on us and we're disappointed and they come up with an excuse and maybe some are good, but some are maybe not, not so good. And we can do that in our Christian life. We say, oh yes, I'll go to that. I'll go to that study or that meeting. I'll go with you to that event. But actually the day arrives or the moment arrives, you're a no-show. What you're saying is actually there's something more important than God's kingdom. They told, this is told in the context of the religious elite, remember. All the high and mighty and religious are here. And it's relevant for us, isn't it? Because not that we're maybe high and mighty, but we know so much of God's words. We have the invitation to feast on his word. We say, I'll be there, but we don't turn up. There's something of greater importance for us to be at. That shouldn't be the case. But secondly, the main application, isn't it, is God calls us to follow him. God calls us to the gospel of Jesus. See, this is the invitation that's extended. In this story, the people reject it, and the servant is sent back out. And well, that invitation is sent back out, and it's sent out today as well. Whether you're next door, online, whatever. It's the most important thing in life and death, this invitation. Because this servant returns with bad news that nobody's coming. But the master sends out and says, well, say in verse 21, it's extended to, the, to go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. Go out and fight everybody you can find. See, who's the least likely people to be invented to a great banquet meal? It's the poor, the weak, the lame, the blind here, isn't it? The same people Jesus tells us to look after. In verse 13. Jesus said, there's still room in my banquet. Send the invitation out. There's room to come. It's a gracious invitation. Not that they deserve it. Especially they don't deserve it because they cannot repay this banquet back. But they're invited. We are invited. It's not easy for the servant to find people in the hedges. Yet the servant goes. The master is inviting the needy people. Isn't it the needy people? People who would need a hand to even get there. This is why being humble 
Knowing who we are is so important because we are needy. We are the, the lame, the blind, the crippled, the poor. That is us spiritually, isn't it? And we need to understand that. This first group of people didn't want to bother, but here the invitation is extended to us, the needy, the spiritually poor, crippled, sinful. In fact, we're dead, aren't we, in sin? We're spiritually dead, but, through, but for Jesus. He makes us alive. We are the needy, so this invitation is for each of us. It's for you today, not just another time, not just another excuse. Because when we put our blinkers on for this world, there's nothing more important than the now or maybe 10, 20 years' time, the present or the immediate future. But that's not the perspective God gives. The Master God has this invitation for you. And will you be there? The invitation is there, but will you be there? Or are you going to kind of put it in your back pocket and not do anything about it? Will you not just trust in Jesus? The master says, come. Everything is now ready. What an encouragement for us. Come. The needy, the lame, the sick, no matter how broken we feel or how downtrodden we feel, come. That's what the Lord says. The Lord will not reject you. Come to him. It's a free invitation, but not a cheap one. Sure, it's not. We know that. Why is it not cheap? Because the one who humbled himself, obedient to death, even death on the cross, a hill outside Jerusalem, blood flowing, a spear in the side, broken, dead, yet is raised to life. Jesus' desire for a full house is so great that he pleads us all to enter. He goes to the hedges, the backward places, yet some will still refuse and you only have yourselves to blame. There's no good excuses. Leon Morris is a commentator, and he has this one line. God is gracious and will receive all who come to him. What a comfort, what an encouragement. Then he continues, but people may not dilly-dally. So a great phrase, dilly-dally. Haven't heard that in a while. Don't dilly-dally. Come to Jesus. Have you responded to the invitation? You need to be genuinely going, not word of mouth, like these initial characters giving their excuses. Ah, oh, yeah, but there's something more important to do. See, Jesus' disciples respond to God's invitation, but Jesus' disciples also invite, don't we? We started off this year with John 20, 21. Uh, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And the Master here is sending the servant. And look, how the servant is instructed in verse 23. The servant is told, make them come in. I like the word compel, to be honest for that one. Compel. What does that mean? So imagine we are in this story, and we are one of the people coming to the banquet. So to compel, what does that mean? It means the servant, or even better, the master, taking us by the hand and walking us into the banquet and to our seat. That idea of being carried along, Make them come in. Bring them along with you. And that's what we are to do as God's people. Take people by the hand and say, look, this banquet's for you. You need to come with me. See, are we doing, are we compelling in that sense? Are we regularly praying, regularly meeting up and taking people by the hand and saying, will you come with me and see Jesus, please? 
This is life and death. This is important. It's our responsibility to invite people. Maybe you're here today and you don't understand Jesus that well. Maybe you want to be led by the hand. Let somebody know and they will do it. Someone will walk with you, open God's word, pray with you, so that you might see this glorious invitation is for you. It's for all of us. There's lessons for each of us here today. Isn't it about to be humble? Know who we are. Sinners, yet we have a hope in Jesus. Why? Because he died on the cross for our sin, that we can be generous to others because he's generous in mercy towards us. But the biggest pressing issue and concern today is will you not just come to Jesus? That's all I have to say. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the grace that you lavish on us, that we should become children of God. And Lord, it is our earnest prayer that you would equip us to be compelling, to walk side by side with people, that they would come to this banquet with us because they trust in Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that you humbled yourself to death on the cross. So we thank you for that sacrificial death. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the blood that poured out. But Lord, we thank you for your raising triumphant from the grave that one day we know because sin and death is conquered, we too will rise and we'll be at the wedding feast of the Lamb because you have washed our sin away. Lord Jesus, we pray that people would accept this invitation now, today, and come to you. And it's in your saving name we pray. Amen. Thank you.